Good evening. It's good to see you all. If it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the, one of the pastors here. Glad you can worship with us this evening. Uh, a little bit about redemption. We are one church, and we have multiple congregations, and we meet in various places throughout the valley, uh, as well as Flagstaff. Uh, we do believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Therefore, we seek to make disciples in response to that truth. If you want to learn a little bit more about who we are as a church, best thing that you can do is take the information card that's in the seat in front of you, fill out your name, email address, and any questions you have regarding redemption, uh, we'd love to be able to answer those questions. And later, during our time of response, you can drop those questions off in the offering boxes, which are located in the back uh, by the doors. Um, I got a few announcements uh, today. Uh, Last week I said that I'd come back and give you a snapshot or overview of what's happening in redemption and where we're kind of going this summer. Um, So first, before I say anything, um, for the past eight years, we've had the same person run our tech and our sound and establish and set up our internet and do anything here that you see from lights to to the visuals on the screen. So you may not know this person, but you all have been blessed by his ministry. And from the day that the church doors opened here in Tempe, he's been here. Um, And however, in the last few weeks, him and his wife and their family, as well as we believe that he, it's best for him now to transition off of staff with us. And uh, mainly because his wife is Caitlin Anderson, who oversees children's ministry here and she's here all day and then with him being here all day they have three young kids they thought it would be best that their kids don't hate church and so that he could actually be at home and some of you guys who who grew up being around church services all day long you know exactly what I'm talking about so but I do want to say thank you to Evan Anderson and he's actually here at the service we've been doing this all day and he's right there in the back there he is so if you guys can just give it up for Evan yeah Yeah. So with that, we, we have replaced him with Matt McDermott, which earlier I said it was Josh McDermott, not him. We actually fired him already. But Matt McDermott is here and uh, who's been a part of uh, Tempe for a while and is a great guy too. And so he'll be transitioning that. So we want to be able to appreciate that. It means a lot to us. And uh, Evan and Caitlin mean a lot to us on so many levels. Uh, next thing is over the summer, what we're going to do is take some time to continue to raise up leaders and develop leaders. Uh, last week, you guys saw Oye and how we sent him off to New City Church. And um, as a resident, he was able to be trained and, and taught here. And the way that that happens is why we can continue to be a teaching church is because of you all. Um, we are able to bring young guys here, get their first opportunity to speak in front of people because you guys uh, have a level of maturity to allow and uh, accept and see the growth of people. I can say that personally. My, my first time ever preaching on a Sunday was here about four or five years ago. And then when I came on uh, two and a half years ago as a campus pastor here and, and cut my teeth in teaching and all those things, you guys were a- able to endure that and walk with me in that. And so we're asking you to continue to do that. And so over the, the rest of the summer, you're going to hear several different guys get their first opportunity to preach here. So next week on Father's Day, Ryan Arneson's going to teach. And if you guys know Ryan, Ryan's one of our pastors here, and he's going to be able to preach in Romans. And so that's going to be a treat for you all. And then the week after that, Jim Mullins, who you guys have heard teach and lead in response, he'll preach. And then a few weeks after that, I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to have, at all four services, four different preachers teaching. Um, so in the morning, uh, 9 a.m., we're going to have Dave Goffney, who's one of our residents that's going to be planning a church in Tucson. So he's going to teach at the 9 a.m. I'm not going to be there. Um, And then after that, um, 
1045 is Benjamin Jensen's going to be teaching. I'll come back for that one. Um, teaching at that service. Five o'clock, so your service is Blakeman, who is our worship leader. So you get a chance to see Blakeman lead worship and then come preach, which that's going to be a nice little dog and pony show there. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, and then after that, uh, Jake Sabotnik, one of our interns. And so all day long, it's going to be really fun. Feel free to come to every single service. I, I will. And so if you want to be there to, to see that, but that's July 7. So we're looking forward to that. Um, last two things is if there's any families here that have already adopted in the foster care system, we want to meet with you. And here's why. We are a part of a larger network of churches throughout Arizona that are getting together in something that is initiative that is called Arizona 127. The 127 comes from James uh, chapter 127 that says that true religion is those who look after orphans and widows. And we believe in the crisis situation of how many kids are in the foster care. How can churches come alongside to help families who are called to adopt. And so we want to start by meeting with the members within our congregations and all the different congregations uh, together in the next few weeks. So if you fit that criteria, you say, I've adopted kids um, from the foster care, I'm into adoption, or or I'm considering it, Fill out your name and um, information on that information card or see Ryan Arneson and make sure that we get your information. We want to be able to invite you to, uh, to this night. And then come August, we're going to launch a church-wide, city-wide, statewide initiative to be able to help uh, serve in that area. Um, last thing um, is we started the capital campaign several months ago. And the goal was to raise a million dollars over the course of three years. We started with the one-time offering goal of $100,000, which we came back and said we shattered that. And we started off uh, with $160,000 plus, which was amazing, and then pledges that people would continue to give towards that for the rest of the next three years so that we can have complete ownership of this campus as well as some renovations that need to happen primarily in children's ministry. And so I want to give you an update on the number where we are because we didn't want to do the whole, like, thermometer thing that you guys would see walking in every week. Yeah, you've been there. We didn't want to do that. So the number where we are now, and this is really good, is 222,398, which is amazing because you guys are keeping consistent with what you said that you would be able to do as a congregation. With that, we have been able to start the renovations in the children's ministry facilities. So some of you parents who went to drop off your children today— You notice that where you normally take them was closed off. That's because work is being done in there. And so for the next couple of months, I think by the end of July is when we're hoping to be in there. But if you know anything about construction, just probably August is when we'll probably be able to get in there. So we thank thank you in advance for just the inconvenience for a little bit. Um, But the kids are in great rooms, and even some of the rooms that they're in have already been uh, renovated. And so we're excited about that. That's a lot, I understand, but just wanted to let you know where we're going for the summer. And, um, but... Although all of that will be the things we're doing, we still will be in Romans forever, right? So if you guys have your Bibles, take Romans, take, open your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high, and then someone will be able to give you a copy of a Bible. Now, if you don't own a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high so that you can, you can own a copy of God's Word and keep the one that we're given to you uh, so that you can read it and grow in an understanding and knowledge of who Jesus is. I'm just going to catch us up real quick. Romans chapter 2, we are nearing the end of this chapter. Um, So far, for the past few weeks, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, has been hammering on what we've called as religious. And we said the religious people in a pejorative sense or a negative sense, meaning just saying, you you too need Jesus. Chapter 1, verses 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, what Paul is saying is both those who grew up understanding who God was and those who did not know God, they still need Jesus. 
He's trying to make a universal truth that every single person, man and woman, uh, children, we need Jesus, and we don't have a righteousness in ourselves. And so, ironically, um, for the past several weeks, Paul has been hammering, again, the religious and saying, you don't see your issue. You don't really see your sin. And when you don't see your sin, you don't see your need of a savior. And so Paul picks up in that vein uh, this evening in chapter 2, verses 17 through 24, uh, particularly talking to Jewish people. And it's clear because he says, you call yourself a Jew. And if you're unfamiliar with what a Jew is, a Jew was a term that was labeled to God's people from 2 Kings all the way on. And that's anybody who was raised as an ethnic Jew. A Gentile is anyone that's not an ethnic Jew. So it's the rest of the people. And so Paul begins to talk at them, talking about their their religion. Essentially, what he's saying is you have a counterfeit religion. I mean, you have a counterfeit religion that that is void of grace in Jesus. Meaning you're going through great emotions and imperatives of Scripture, but it's counterfeit. And I don't know about you guys, um, but you, you, you know what it's like to have counterfeit clothes? I've been, I've been trying this all day. I'm hoping at the 5 o'clock it lands. Is uh, Growing up in California, especially in the L.A. area, you can get counterfeit clothes anywhere. And I don't know what type of name brands you wanted when you were a kid because, you, you know, that's just it's something about being a kid. If someone else has a name brand, you want it. And so maybe for you, I'm not really sure, trying to look at the audience, maybe it was Massimo or Hangton or Quicksilver. What? I'm just saying. And then for me, right, it was like a Nietzsche, it was FUBU, then it was Platinum FUBU. <laughs> Wanted it, right? And, and the, the, the thing, Tommy Hilfiger, Eddie Bauer, right? I'm, I'm just saying, right? And the thing about downtown LA is you can get anything. You can get anything in downtown, and it's never real, right? There's always some dude down the street like, yo, yo, partner, you trying to get this Rolex? I'm like, Rolex? It looks like the, spe- hey, the spelling was off, but it's still the same Rolex, right? It's like, it's counterfeit, right? Or, or, or maybe it wasn't counterfeit for you. Maybe it's that you, when you went to school and everyone's bragging about their Levi jeans or whatever, and your mom shopped at Mervyn's, right? And so you had like the high Sierra jeans. Like, it's like, ah, oh, sorry, can't get it. Some of you are like, I still have those high Sierra jeans. It's like, hey. Come as you are. We appreciate it, right? But what you know about things that are counterfeit is it's cheap. It's always cheap. And the way it worked at my school is that people, kids were so mean. They wanted to call you out on your cheapness, right? So people would look at your shirt and go, that's not really a Tommy Hilfiger shirt. Let me see the tag, right? And that was always how you knew. Because on the outside, externally looked new. Let me see the tag. And you didn't want to see the tag because they'd pop that tag and it'd say, Fruit of the Loom. It's like, huh. Since when did Fruit of the Loom start making Tommy Hill figures? There's been a merger that we don't know about here? And it's like, ah, I've been outed. I think in the same way, the examination of let me see the tag, Paul's saying, not that we're doing it to each other right now, but we should look at our lives. And especially those of you in the room who would call yourself Christians, who understand the Bible, who understand what God has said, who, who understand the gospel, is saying, let's just take a step back and examine ourselves. Let, let, let's look at our lives. Because when you have counterfeit religion, apart from Jesus and apart from grace, this is what it produces. One, relationship without affection. Relationship without affection. So knowing who God is, but not genuinely knowing him. And then discipleship without examination. So you begin to tell people how they should live their life, and yet you yourself have no change, no transformation. And then lastly, proclamation without demonstration. So it's relationship without affection. Uh, discipleship without examination and proclamation without demonstration. First, we'll start here in verse 17 with relationship without affection. Here's what Paul says. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boasting God 
and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. But Paul's saying there is a few things, there are a few things that are privileges here. Meaning there, there are a few things that we see here that to these particular people, the Jewish people, that were privileges. And they're good things. First, it says you're a Jew. And what, what, what that means is you were God's chosen people. That when we read in the scripture that when God himself desired to redeem this world, after Genesis chapter 3, we see what's going to happen with this world. And God is saying, I'm going to redeem this world, but I'm going to work through people to show forth my glory and fame to all the nations. And he chooses a man named Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham. And he looks at Abraham and says, you have no children, but wait, you're going to have kids who are going to have kids. It's going to be a great nation. Whoever blesses you, I will bless them. Whoever curses you, I will curse them. He says, they were supposed to be a light to the nations. But see, the people began to get it wrong. They thought that somehow by them being Jewish people, by being chosen, that that meant somehow it was about them. That they were God's only people, and they were the only people who God wanted to be with. Now, some of us think that. That when we look at God's word, we go, man, it looks like maybe God just only liked the Jewish people. But no, it was always about grace, never about race and ethnicity. It, that, that matters, but what mattered most was that God himself was working because he loved them, not in spite of their sin, in spite of them. In fact, one of the most beautiful words in scripture is in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, 9, and 10. And he says, I didn't choose you because you were more mighty or you were stronger or your potential of what you could become, what, what you could do for me. He goes, I, I set my love on you because I loved you. Like he said, I loved you because I love you. Like that's, that's it. And they, they, they didn't realize that this privilege, this relationship that they had was about a person. It was about God, but they made it about instructions and rules and laws. And those things were given to express who God was. So that, that's, that's what you have there. They, the first privilege is they were Jewish people. That, that connected, that meant something. The, the second thing that you see here is that they had the law. And last week, we unpacked the law a little bit. Um, the law was the Mosaic law. It was God himself speaking through Moses. It was an incredible thing for the people of Israel. That, that God's people saw Moses come down from the mountain with two tablets, um, the, 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 the Ten Commandments and all the laws, and his face had the glory of God just, just radiating off of him, and they didn't even want to look at him. It was special revelation. They had that. That's unique. That's a privilege. Um, in chapter 1, we talked about how there's general revelation and there's special revelation. General revelation means everyone has a knowledge of God because in creation he reveals himself. And then there's special revelation where it's explicit. So another way to think of it is God reveals himself through his world as well through his word. Well, they had both general and special revelation. They, they heard the voice of God. It was amazing. But what they didn't realize is special revelation does not save. You can have a lot of knowledge about God's word. And that you can memorize scripture, you can know it, you can have great books on theology and doctrine and understand things and argue with people and win, and yet that does not save you. Hear me, we are not saved by the words of Christ. We are saved by the work of Christ. And when you have counterfeit religion and that, that just takes Jesus and grace away, what happens is you have to hold tight to what you know. And, and, and this is what was happening here because it goes on to say, if you read with me in the continuing in verse 17 and 18, it says, and you know his will and approve of what is excellent. Verse 17 at the very end, it says, you boast in God. All these things are good. Boasting in God is amazing. Knowing that his law is excellent is amazing. 
But when you do it void of grace, when you do it void of genuine relationship that elicits affections because it's centered on a person, namely Christ, then you're missing it. Here's what the problem was with the Jewish people that Paul is talking to. They're saying, Paul, we hear you. We understand about this Jesus. We don't need the gospel. We don't need it. We have the law. We, we are Jewish people. There was a pride in that. We know more than others. And sometimes without discernment, without affections from Christ, there is a danger of what you know because you don't really know how to use it. And some of us have had this. I mean, we may say, well, I'm not a Jewish person. That's not me. Even as those of you in this room that are Christians, we've had this. I, I had this experience when, um, when God saved me, um, I began to read my Bible for the first time. And not just for the first time, but read it and understand it. Those are one of the most amazing things in the world. Um, my mom gave me a Bible when I first came to college. Um, it was a King James Version. She put my name on it and everything. And I was like, thanks. And I put it underneath my bed. I haven't seen it since, right? So if you ever see a Bible with you know, Ricardo two C's, it's mine. Um, and, and maybe it's because I couldn't understand the King James. But I think more, and more importantly is I didn't have the Spirit of Christ in me. But when God saved me, I began to read the Bible and I began to love it. And then God did the greatest thing for me. When I graduated from college, um, I couldn't find a job. And so I got a job as a substitute teacher. And this is no offense to those of you guys who are a substitute teacher. It's the easiest job in the world, right? You show up, some teacher has already given you the lesson plan. All you have to do is look at high school students and go, listen, you little chumps, right? And tell them what to do and and then sit down for hours and just look at the computer. It's amazing, right? totally amazing. And so I think in God's sovereignty, he wanted me to do that. And so I sat down, I would Google, uh, go on the BibleGateway.com and just read my Bible. In fact, it's how I learned to read the Bible. I would just read and read and read. And I thought, God, this is amazing. And I think he was like, I'm preparing you to become a pastor one day. So take this easy job, right? It was amazing, right? Loved it. And what happened was, as I continued to mature in my faith and sense of called in ministry, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn more theology. I wanted to learn more doctrine. And someone gave me this systematic theology book of Wayne Grudem, and it was really thick. And I began to learn that and, and meditate on the theology and learn certain words and learn just enough Greek so I can pretend like I knew what the heck I was talking about. And, did. and just, just enough stuff to go, wow. And in the Bible, which used to read me, like when I used to read the Bible, it used to read me and shape me and form me. Now, whenever time I came to the Bible, it was like, man, how can I teach this? Man, oh, that's really good. How can I teach this to somebody else? How, how, can I, how can I share this with somebody else? Every theology that I learned didn't lead me to praise. It was like, now that I know this, how can I argue with this person that seems to be inconsistent and wrong? We do it. And you may say, no, not me. Like, I'm not, I never wanted to be a pastor, and I never was a substitute teacher. However, I'm thinking about it, right? Like, m- maybe that's not you, but we've done it to some degree. Some of us, all of us, we've all been to at least one service somewhere where we're like, man, this message was good. I wish such and such was here. Oh, it'd have been good for them to hear this message. It's like, we always know somebody else who should have heard that message. You should have heard the message, right? We usually don't think about it as like ourselves, like, oh, that was for me. No, no, no. It's like my sister, it's my brother, it's my coworker. I'm good. Like, I'm good in myself. And it's like, no. When you, you can actually know a lot and completely miss it. I mean, you can have a lot of knowledge and completely not have any affections because it's not centered on Christ. And that's not to say you should never read theology books or doctrine books. I think you should read all those things. I'm just saying it comes a point sometimes where everything you take is never for you to digest and for you to understand. But it's for you to understand just so that you can argue with other people. And what Paul is saying is there's there's a relationship there for these Jewish people because they had some privileges. But there was no affection because it wasn't centered on Christ, which really... It's not a real relationship. Like all the components were there, but 
know Christ, right? I don't know if you've ever had, I don't know if you've ever had that awkward experience that you're dating somebody. You think you're dating somebody, but you're not. You ever had that? No? Neither have I. I'm just saying some people have. <laughs> My buddy in high school, uh, this new girl came to school, and, and you know how it is, like high school puppy love, right? This girl shows up to school, and he's like, hey, that's my girlfriend. She's got these flowers. I'm like, really? And I'm looking at my buddy. Let's just say his name was Manny, right? Because that, that was his name. <laughs> but he's a high school Manny, not you. <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> And, and, and no, no joke, so he, he gets this girl these flowers, and I'm like, wow, like, how, like, how did this go down? Like, how did he, like, how did they, how did he pull this off? Like, I know him, right? And she was in my Spanish class, and so I'm, I'm, I was talking to her, and I'm like, yeah, so how's your relationship with Manny going? It's a few weeks into it. She goes, we're not dating. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, my name's Ricardo. No, I don't know. I said, uh, what, what happened? And she goes, um, we were never dating. And I thought, oh, whatever proceeds from here is going to be good, right? <laughs> and I'm like, please explain this. She goes, well, like, when I got to school here, um, he asked my friend if, if, he would, if I'd go out with him. And she wanted to play a dirty trick on him and said, yes. And so the whole time he thought that we were dating, but we were never dating. And I'm like, really? I see you guys walking. Like, he would walk you to class. He was, yeah, he'd walk into class. He'd buy me chocolate. He'd do everything. But we were never dating. And I, I was like, oh, that's all bad. I can't wait to see him after school. <laughs> this is going to be good, <laughs> right? And some of you are going, oh, it doesn't matter. It was high school. It was over, right? They both have happy lives, I'm sure. And so they're, 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 like, when you look at that, it's like everything was there for a relationship. He's got the flowers. He's got the candy. He's walking her to the geometry class. But he doesn't have a girlfriend, right? Like, that's important, right? If you're going to have a relationship and you say you're dating somebody, it should be somebody else that you're dating, right? And the same way, not as funny is uh, when you have a lot of knowledge or you have a lot of understanding um, and you rest in those things, or as, as Paul says here, for the Jewish people, they rely on the law, but you're not resting in Jesus, then, then you really don't have a relationship with God. And if you really don't have a relationship with God, then there, there won't be any affections because affections don't come from just instruction. Um, knowledge and intellect may come from that, but affections are drawn from actually being in love with somebody and loving one, a person, um, when, 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 when you don't have Christ, right, when you're just resting in what you know or what you can say, you have relationship but no affections because I can only come from God himself living in you and a delighting in Christ and what he's done on your behalf. But when that's not it and the major is on just knowledge and things that you know, then it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And Paul's saying that's, that's what's happening. That's what counterfeit religion will do. It will give you the impression that everything's going good. But, but not only would it jack up your relationship with God— the way you view yourself and the way you view others will also become just destroyed. And so not only is it, is it something that you have relationship without affection, but you have discipleship without self-examination. Here's what Paul says here. Verse 19. He says, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, and having... In the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So far, that's good. Like, that's a really good list. Like, if you're discipling people, uh, as Christians, we should all be discipling. We should want to be teachers. We should want to be instructors to the foolish. We want to lead. Uh, we want to be guides. We want to be people who are light to those in darkness. Look, those are really good things. That's good discipleship. But Paul is not saying that's it. There's more to that. Because there's a way in which you can lead people and never look at your own life. And never look at your own heart. 
Because the rest of the list goes like this in verse 21. He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Paul is saying, you are doing a a lot of good actions. You are teaching people truth. You are leading people. You are guiding people. You are light. But he goes, but the problem is, you're doing the same things that you tell the people not to do. And the things that you tell them to do, you're not even doing. Like, you're a hypocrite. Like, you are a hypocrite. And the one thing that a Christian never wants to be called is a hypocrite. Like, that's like kryptonite to us. It's like, no, not me. And it's like, yeah, you. And, and if you're not, um, we throw the word hypocrite around a lot. We would say, well, that person sinned, so they're a hypocrite. Everyone's going to sin. And that person just may be a Christian. Hip, when you're a hypocrite, the way that the language comes from is it, it takes, it's taken from the theaters and, and antiquity. And so what would happen is a person would come on and have a mask on his face that would portray one thing. And then later when he came back in in that, that same play, he would have a different mask on. I mean, they're two different people. Um, you're saying one thing, but you're not living up to it. Essentially, you're not practicing what you're preaching. And we all hate it when people do that. All of us. We hate it. We hated it when our parents did it and everyone's parents did it. Our parents always had double standards. Like, I can do this, but you can't do it. It's essentially do as I say, but not as I do because I'm grown, right? And you're like, why? I'm, I'm daddy. Shut up. Like, that was just kind of the way it went, right? And, and then some of you with, with kids now, we do the same thing. Like, I'm always telling my kids, like, things like, don't do this. That's not good for you. Like, the biggest is, like, soda. I love soda, especially Diet Dr. Pepper. I think it's sent from God. And my son's like, can I have some soda? No, soda's really bad for you. Right? It's like... He's looking like, that's different. Or when there's certain words that I think is okay for me to say, but then when my son repeats it, I'm like, like, "Uh, you can't say that. Well, I'm just hearing it from you. I'm growing. I'm daddy. Shut up. Right? That's what you're like. like, That's, that's, no. It's like, we don't like that when people, when people are telling us to do something and they're not doing it. There's something in us that goes, that is just like the most um, ungenuine, disingenuine thing ever. Paul's saying, that's what you do. A counterfeit religion makes you see everything wrong with everybody else, but nothing with you, nothing with your family, nothing with your kids, nothing with your life. You look at people around you, go, they're jacked up, they're problems, they're, they're, they have issues, they need Jesus, we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for those people. They, they, they need help. We need to instruct them. We do it with young Christians, we do it with people who are not even Christians, and our whole life, we're not looking at ourselves. we're not looking at our own lives and our own hearts and looking at the actions in which we have. Paul says, the same people who say don't steal, they're stealing. The same people who say don't commit adultery, they're committing adultery. This is, this is reminiscing of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. When he talks to the same people, people have this counterfeit religion that don't want Jesus. And he's saying, okay, you say you should not murder. You've heard that. But I tell you, even if you have anger or will and ill intent for someone in your heart, that's the same as murder. You say, don't commit adultery, and you're going around, don't commit adultery. But if you lust for another man or another woman, that's the same thing as adultery. And what Jesus is saying is, you don't get it. You need me. You need Jesus. And these people are like, no, nah, I got it. It's discipleship, right? That's just, I'm telling people what to do, but I'm, I'm not looking at my, my own heart. This, this, this happens, because it's, it's, it's false advertisement, what it is. You're, you're, you're proclaiming one thing, but it's something else. Um, this happens in, um, in our culture, uh, primarily through like advertising. I don't know if you guys have ever seen commercials and there's like a celebrity on there that's marketing whatever the product is. It always makes me sick because I'm like, they don't, they don't use that product. <laughs> They've never eaten that in their life. 
Um, the one that gets me is Blake Griffin, who's like a professional basketball player. He's like a multi-million dollar superstar, and he's, he promotes Kia, right? The car. And listen, nothing wrong with Kia. We, our, we, we drive Kias. Blake Griffin doesn't drive a Kia. You know there's no way on God's green earth that he's driving a Kia. Like if you saw him one day in Hollywood, he's like, I'm driving a Kia, right? He's like 6'8", 2,000 pounds. He can't even fit in a Kia, but it's like, yeah, I too drive a Kia. It's like, that's a lie, man. You give it to me. Like, you know, like, that's a lie, right? And we see that and we go, that's, a, that's so blatant. Paul is saying, turn it on yourself. Like, examine yourself. Jesus says it this way. Um, if you're going to go and confront people and you're going to look at their sin and you're going to disciple and you're going to lead people, check this out. You have to realize that you have a log in your eye Whereas that they have a speck. And you've heard that before. You have a log. And what does that mean? What that means is your sin should be more real to you than anybody else's. One of our residents here, Benjamin Jensen, says when he reads that, he thinks of our sin should always be objective, where that other people's sin should be subjective. Meaning that's the reason why the, the Apostle Paul could say, I am the chief of all sinners. Meaning I'm the worst dude around. And you're like, Paul, really? It's because he understands his sin. We should all be acquainted and going, listen, I got issues. Like, I got issues. All of us in this room, we got issues. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't enter into the disciple. I want to be clear about this. Some people read that, oh, man, Jesus is telling me to get the log out of my eye before I get the speck. And so, man, I, I still have a log. And as long as I have a log in my eye, I can't help people. No, no, no. What that means is you should disciple out of your weaknesses, out of understanding who you are. But discipleship is not this high road of saying, I know what's best. In fact, discipleship is, is one beggar telling the other beggar where the bread is. Like, we're in this together. Like, what, what Paul has been saying, we, we all fall short. There's not a person in this room who's like, I haven't fallen short yet. You just did from lying, right? Like, that, 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 that doesn't exist. But when people say, well, I can't disciple yet because i got to wait to get myself clean, you really don't get the gospel. The gospel is never about you waiting yourself to get clean. It's God himself sending Christ Jesus to cleanse you, to give you a new heart. That, 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 that whole, like, I'm going to wait till I get the lock. No, here's what Jesus is saying. Is that when you disciple people, which all of us should be doing in Christ, is that when you, if you ever got the speck out of somebody else's eye, you know how gentle it is. Like, you don't just go, hey, there's a speck in your eye, and just go grab at it, right? Like, you never do that. You say, hey, sit still, open up your eye, let me hold it open for you, and let me try to get this. It's very gentle. It's very gentle. And when you understand a log, it makes you sensitive. It humbles you. In fact, I think some of the best ways to disciple is when you lead out of your weakness, right? Because you know, you ever notice that, that the, the people's sin that you see the most is the same sin that you have, right? I think it's the reason why we, we all hate arrogant people and prideful people. We don't hate them. We love them in Jesus' name. We just don't like them, right? Like, you just, we just do not like arrogant, prideful people. And the reason is because their pride butts up against our, our pride. And their arrogance butt, butts up against our arrogance. It's like, how dare you do that? I had this pride thing on lock before you got here right? And we, we, when, you, when you work out of your weakness, now you can come alongside somebody and say, listen, I can see that you're prideful, and here's how I know. And you can speak out of your own weakness. A level of transparency never hurt anybody. Now, if you're like, listen, I'm prideful. I don't plan on stopping, but you need to stop. That, that's a problem, right? That's, that's without repentance. And so when, when, when Paul begins to say this, he's saying that these people, they don't have self-examination. They're wanting to lead people, but they're not looking at their own hearts. They're not looking at their own lives. And, and that's problematic. That's really problematic. Like, we have to look at our lives. I mean, self-examination. When's the last time you, you examine your life, right? 
as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where you looked at your life and says, where, where in my life am I not trusting in Jesus? Am I not trusting in him? When you begin to be aware of yourself and with the gospel, because sometimes if you're just aware of your sin without Jesus, it will crush you. But if you're aware of your sin and understanding of God's grace, it humbles you because you have a good perspective on people. Um, several years ago, I was watching, I think it was in 2005, it was the AFC championship between um, Troy, um, not Troy Palomalo, he's not the only guy on the team. It was the Steelers and the Colts, they're, they're football teams. And uh, it was the Steelers and Colts AFC championship. And um, watching the game, and Troy Palomalo gets this interception, and then they wanted to review it. So the, the refs had to go and look at it and see if it was really a catch. Clearly a catch. And the refs go, nope, not a catch. Everyone's like, what? Are you kidding me? And so the announcer's let's get his reaction. And he, they show him, and it's an interception. It would have won the game, and they would have gone to the Super Bowl. Now they had a chance of losing. He just runs in the field, doesn't, doesn't get angry, doesn't get mad. And it's like, this is interesting. Well, they end up winning the game. And they go to the Super Bowl, and before the Super Bowl, there's all these interviews. And they're interviewing Troy Palomalo, who on the field is like an, a, a Tasmanian devil. Like, he's crazy. Off the field, he's like this really gentle, talking guy. And they said, hey, that AFC game, championship game, you guys— should have lost that game, but you would have sealed the deal if, that, if the ref would have made that bonehead mistake. Let's get your reactions on that. Clearly, America knew that that was a catch. And his response was this, you know, looking at all my faults and all that I've done wrong in my life and even that day, I can't look at one man's one mistake and then call the blame on him. So he's just doing his job. And I thought, oh my gosh, I googled, is Troy Palomalu a Christian? Right? <laughs> he has to be. That's amazing. <laughs> Eight years from now, I'm going to use this as a sermon illustration. I wrote it down. <laughs> like, it, was, it was literally like, wow, I've never... Because, you know, most football guys are like, even when they're Christians sometimes, you know, they're usually like, no, 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 glory be to God because I'm the best, right? It's never like, it's never like, you know, it's like, with him, I'm better than everybody, right? Thank you. <laughs> it's never like this humility that you see. I shouldn't say never, just that one time, right? Um, that, that right there is, is how we ought to disciple. When there's examination, I mean, he acknowledges this guy was wrong, but he first acknowledges all his wrongs, and so he's easily able to come alongside. When we lead people, we should totally confront. We should totally teach people and train people and be guides. But a way in which we, we look at our own lives. You see, when you have a counterfeit religion, it's counterfeit, and you don't trust in Jesus, here's what you have to trust in. You got to trust in your ability. You got to trust in your ability to read more, to pray more, to do more. And you can't ever come out and say, hey, I, I wronged somebody or I, I sinned too. You can't do that because you got to hide behind this, this, this facade that you have that looks really, really, really good. Or at least you're trying to make it look really good. But on the inside, it's not. It's not good at all. Something's off. And so you have, you have relationship, but there's no affections because it's not centered on Christ. And you have discipleship, but there's no examination because you're not even looking at your own life. And then when that spirals down, what you have is proclamation without demonstration, meaning you have a lot of talking about God and a lot of knowledge and a lot of barking and a lot of, I go to church and I do this and I do that, but nothing to back it up in your life. And, and, and here's what Paul says here. This is, these, are, these are harsh words. Verse 24. It says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you. He said, You have this counterfeit religion you have no affections for Christ. You never examine yourself. You go around talking about God. I mean, the Jewish people were saying, I have God. We have God. We have the law. And as Christians, we do that. We have the right way. If we can get, we're losing our country. We're losing our culture. We're getting prayers out of school. We need to do this and do that. Trust Christ. 
And yet the rest, the rest of us as a collective people, when we're not living in Christ and trusting in the gospel, what it says here is because of our lives that are inconsistent, because we are hypocritical in so many ways, we don't practice what we preach. He says because of that, that the Gentiles, he's talking about people now who don't believe in God. He goes, they blaspheme God. God left his people, you and I here, those of us who are in Christ, to be a witness like, you never know, God saved us. He could have just snatched us straight to heaven. He left us here. He says, the Father has sent me, so I now send you. Go and make disciples. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be witnesses from here throughout the end of the earth. That means in everything that we do, whether it be in vocation or recreation, or whether we draw or we sing, that we are supposed to show forth God's glory. And proclamation, what we say, have to be consistent with what we do. And we need to have both. You can't have one without the other. But when we don't live up to that, it goes, man, this is what happens. People who don't believe in God go, yeah, no, thank you. No, thank you. Notice how when Paul was in chapter 1 was talking about the irreligious, 18 through 32, and he looked at their sins, he never once said, you know what? And because of this, people don't believe in God. In fact, why I think he spent more time talking about the religious in a pejorative sense is because when people don't believe in God, the irreligious, it's easy to say, hey, you know, you don't believe in God. They're like, yeah, I know. That's what I've been telling you, right? I don't believe in God. It's easy to see that. It's really hard for religious people, for church-going people, for people who are really moral, that you begin to trust in your morality, and there's this great deal of moralism. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm anti-being moral. I'm just saying I am anti. I think the gospel is saying have your righteousness in what you do. And that's why Paul, week after week after week, is saying, you don't get it. You don't get it. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And he says, and it's because when you talk about things you know of God, but it's not consistent, the culture around us. I mean, just think about, let's just think about us, that when we don't live for God, and when the Christians in our city don't live for God at work, and we don't do it in our neighborhoods, we don't do it in our relationships, the, the people around us go, ah, I don't want it. Because they can see things that are counterfeit. They can see it. In the same way that we use that silly illustration about those dudes in, in downtown LA just, just selling you cheap stuff, right? If you ever bought cheap stuff, like you've bought cheap, cheap stuff before, and especially like counterfeit stuff. If you ever bought counterfeit cologne, you know, it's like, oof, right? <laughs> you, ever, you, you ever like buy a counterfeit jewelry, like it makes your neck green or makes her neck green, right? <laughs> and it's like, this is, this is it's, and what you say is it's cheap. And I think when, when we don't live up to, when we have a counterfeit religion and we're trusting in our own works, I think people look at, look at Christianity and they go, it's cheap. It's cheap. Um, and and he, he, here's the one thing about counterfeit religion, why as Christians, we don't, we don't even like it. Um, it's easy, one, because it's up to you. But at the end of the day, it's exhausting. When you have religion apart from Jesus, it's exhausting. There's no affections. There's no examination. There's no true living, Right? And here's what I mean. There's plenty of us in this room, you're exhausted. That you look at Christianity very similar to the way the Jews looked at their relationship with God. That you want to try harder. Like, today's the day. This is the year. I'm going to read more. I'm going to get through the Bible in a year. I'm going to try harder. Hear me. Don't try harder. Christianity is not about trying harder. Christianity is not about being better. Christianity is how much can I read more. It's all those things are really, really good. But if you can do all those things and totally miss it, I feel like many of us, we're exhausted because we're on a, a, a spiritual, metaphorical treadmill, and we're running and running and running, sweating, but we aren't going anywhere. We aren't going anywhere. If we looked at our life four years ago, if we looked at our life six months ago, there is no progressive growth in our life because we're not trusting in Christ. We pray, we pray, we pray to God, we sing to God, but we're missing out. You know, we can do all of this apart from the Spirit, 
And it'd be just like God. It would be just like God to let us do this, this, this church service thing, to do it. I mean, I can put together a sermon, completely just read some books, read some commentaries, and throw some words down and say, this is what it means, and it can be accurate apart from the Spirit. And my life can, can be completely void from trusting in Christ. And you can show up on a Sunday, and, and we can sing songs together, and, and David and his band can have nice hairdos and sing to us, and, 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 and it can be all void of the Holy Spirit, completely just void. And like, and God will give that to us. And we can actually see people come to know Jesus. And we can be like, wow, we're doing good. We're raising money. People are getting saved. We're baptizing people. No spirit. No spirit. And, and some of us are there in our own Christian lives. We're just, we're just running on empty. And, and this, this, may, this may hit home if you've ever had that experience where you don't have any money in your debit card. Like you put it in the ATM and you try to get $20 out and it's like insufficient funds. You ever seen that? I've seen it. <laughs> and you get your card back and you try to figure out how much money on you realize, okay, it's, you have money, but it's under $20. So you go to like Jack in a Box and you're like, I hope this is under $6 because that's all I have left. And it's like, you're just hoping. Some of you guys are just hoping that God will give you something. Like just give you a little fire bucket. He's given you everything in Jesus. The problem is you're not trusting in that. You are trusting in something else. And oftentimes what we do is, and this happens especially with sin, because you have sin, you have secret sin, sins that you hide from, and and you're trying to, in the background, get it together. And the way you're going to do it is you're going to start this new Bible plan. You're going to start this prayer group. You're going to do that. And it starts for a little bit and it fizzles out. And then you're mad at yourself because you should do more. Do you realize when you get mad at yourself because like, I should do more, you're still not trusting in yourself. You know, the whole time in your own sin, the whole time in your discipleship without examination and your relationship without affection, God has never left you. He's always there still saying, I loved you because I loved you you the point of the gospel is never try to make christians better the jewish people didn't get this this is why paul is hammering that of all people who should get this people who know jesus who realize jesus himself says come to me all you who are weary all of you are tired put your burdens upon me the way you grow as a christian is not by trying harder but resting deeper in the finished work of christ amen when when, when you look at these things here and you take counterfeit religion, and you don't try to merge it with true religion. You just completely just get rid of it. And you have Jesus. Now you have a relationship that is full of affection because you have a person to be in love with, to cherish, and to delight in, to know, to be with, who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then you can go through discipleship because what discipleship is, we said it earlier, it's one beggar telling the other beggar where the bread is. And then we go to feast upon Jesus and drink deep of the waters of grace in which he provides in our life. That grace doesn't only forgive us of sin, but grace is the motivation that charges us and, 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 and compels us to live obedient lives. We don't go through obedience to earn forgiveness. We have forgiveness and grace, and that leads us to obedience. And so when our discipleship is there, we can examine ourselves because we can be honest about our sin because sin doesn't get in the way. The issue, with, the issue with the Jewish people was not that they were sinning. It wasn't that they were stealing. That's a problem, but that's a symptom of a bigger issue. They were not trusting in Jesus. Your issue and my issue always stem from a lack of belief in the finished work of Christ and to rest in it, to have joy in that, to have affections in that. When you understand that, you can examine yourself and be honest because you realize even when you fail God, he died on the cross for you, forgives you, loves you. And lastly, when it comes to proclamation without demonstration, you want to demonstrate. You want to. Here's why. When you see again and again what Christ has done on your behalf, when you see him, and not just sign a card, see him, but you, you, you want to delight in him. 
You realize that he went through infinite cost on your behalf to find you, to rescue you. Not so much you making a decision for him, but him making a decision for you. You know what you want to do? You want to give your life to him. And everything you do, you want to truly live all of your life all for Jesus. And so demonstration becomes a joy that you find your joy in living like Christ and being a witness because you want more and more people to get in on what you have in Christ. The reason why I think we're exhausted is many of us, as Christians, we've lost the art of loving God. We've we've lost the desire just to rest in Christ. We're looking for something else. And listen, there's nothing else. There's nothing else but Jesus and Jesus alone. What Paul has been saying for the past seven weeks is you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, we all need Jesus, and we have Christ. Amen? Let's pray.